Hello, this is the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. I am Matteo, and I am joined by my co-host, Greg, over in the other corner. Hey, Matteo. It's just the, two, just the two of us this week. It's just the two of us this week. We have had a run of fabulous guests, and we are taking a break from our uh, hosting duties to just sit back, drink a couple beers, and talk about what we're thinking about about bikes. This is a podcast yeah, right. about bikes. It's about bike racing. It's about bike racers, uh, and it's about taking an honest look at at the things that we love, and those things are bicycles. Yeah, we're getting back to our roots this week, uh, and I don't know. We've got a few a few interesting and exciting and topical things to talk about. Um, surprisingly, the the weather is not one of them because it is utterly horrific here in Boston. Uh, I just rode my bicycle home. Well, not just. It's been a couple hours. We're, we're recording this, for so you know, listeners, it's a Monday evening, February 2nd right now, even though this show will probably be out a, a few days from now, as you're hearing it. Uh, and there's been a huge snowstorm, and I rode my bike through the snowy streets of Boston to get to work and back. And I usually like riding my bike in snow, but I was terrified. It was very scary. Scary place right now. Snow is unpleasant. It's just... If you're riding, you know, a, a commuter bike or something that's not designed to handle freshly fallen snow, basically anything but a fat bike, yeah, uh, it's just very difficult to ride. You have It's not even about it being slippery. It's just that it's like riding in, in loose sand. It's slapping you all although, over the place. Although it was very slippery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will say. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually, that was actually, I, I mean, you know, that, I'm, I'm, 100% on board with you, but that was definitely the, the biggest problem I had was in fact that I was mostly sideways. <laughs> I'm not actually certain I was riding my cyclocross bike. I am really not entirely certain much of the time how I was upright because I I was upright <laughs> but I was not upright and pointing in the same direction that I was moving. One of the problems yeah. that I've had riding in like freshly fallen snow in the past is that the snow will kick up and collect everywhere on a bike yep um much like mud does in a muddy cyclocross race and i would just have snow collect on the cassette of my rear wheel and then the chain's pressure compressing it and uh you know in a half hour or so my cassette is just a block of ice and the chain doesn't always engage with the teeth yep that is that is a danger i haven't had that particular problem but of course i do get you know snow building up at the bottom bracket and stuff like depending on the temperature and stuff like that you know but if the road's been treated heavily, it actually can be worse because all the slush and stuff gathers up. And sometimes in the winter, you know, despite what uh, uh, fender aficionados will tell you, they, they actually can do more harm than good when it gets really bad. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Because they're just somewhere for the slush to collect and then turn into ice and lock everything yeah. up. Ugh. Well, fenders are great yeah. for when it's wet, but if it's if there's a lot of snow, it's not wet. It's dry yeah it's too it's, cold for it to be yeah. wet so the yeah. cross bike is working pretty well for that right now but ugh. Yeah. yeah anyway so that's that's kind of what i'm dealing with right now yeah um but well enough over about... yeah oh, go ahead. <laughs> enough about this crappy weather uh over on the other side of the world <laughs> there's some nice weather um and uh and you have a preferred athlete who is coming to the end of a long and glorious career yes <laughs> a special 
<laughs> special preferred athlete. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about um, – well, un- unranked preferred athlete, let's say. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Cadell Evans is uh, – the expression that is used in all of the um, cycling media, which I, I kind of hate because it makes no sense, is hanging up his wheels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what it means is Cadell Evans – uh, has finally turned the page on his long career and is retiring. And uh, I don't know about you, Matthew, but, you know, I uh, I have some feels about that. Tell me about those feels. Well, sure. I, so uh, I kind of got into following, following professional cycling sort of just before uh, his initial... Um, like really serious, or, or around the time when he was making his um, kind of initial run at being a really serious Tour de France contender, when it's like in, in 2007 he finished on the podium, and, and then of course famously there was 2008 where he uh, just got beat by Carlos Sastre, uh, and he was kind of a a strange figure in particular at that time, and, and didn't know quite what to make of him and his riding style, and um, he seemed very concerned about um, his dog and about uh, reporters and potentially uh, cutting their heads off. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I didn't really know what to make of him. And, and, and yeah, he was just also very kind of understated on the bike. But, you know, over time, uh, things started to go kind of right for him. And he won one of the hardest world championship road races in recent memory in uh was it mendricio in in uh, switzerland yeah 2009 yeah, on a cr- yeah 2009 right on a crazy hard course uh memorable for being the race where um fabian Conchalara, after having just destroyed the field in the time trial um just was lighting everybody up constantly on the last lap of this race and, and couldn't get away but cadell evans timed it just right and um rode away to and uh an impressive victory and, and, and then kind of just like maybe lifted a finger to celebrate uh, as is his want. And things really kind of turned around, turned around for him there and also from my perception of him. And, you know, I began to notice that, hey, this guy's a really gritty and uh, tough and um, good bike racer, really. And, and he had some awesome results in the world champion, probably one of the best years in the world championships, uh, sorry, in the world champions jersey recently oh definitely and you know people talk about the curse of the world championship stripes but you know i i'll put on my my science hat for a second and say that i I think that's often just somebody's results kind of regressing to the mean um sure but cadell evans his once he won that world championship road race had a renaissance of his career and maybe he was you know 34 at the time so he is He's not some spring chicken. He's already a very mature bike racer, kind of uh, preparing for his final yeah. bike racing years. I think he was more like I think he was more like thirty one. Okay. Point, okay. Or thirty two, something like that. But okay. still, mm-hmm. you know, he was sort of on the tail end of what you would normally consider the peak mm-hmm. years for a bike racer. Yeah. So the the I I, I remember he won uh, Fletch Wallone the year after he won the world championships. He won Flesh Wallone. He won there. This was um, 
at least the first year when I was watching the Giro, there was that amazing white roads, uh, you know, dirt road stage in the Giro. Yeah, so that's uh, I actually in the rain. I, and I want to talk about that because you know Cadell had this reputation of being not an aggressive rider and not a tough guy and kind of a whiner and, um, you know, these, yeah, poor these... guy. I think it's I think it's that high pitched voice working against him <laughs> on the whiner's front and the Australian way. accent. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. But yeah, on that that was stage seven of the 2010 Giro. Um, he leads a group of like five or six riders into the final kilometers, and it's been raining, and they've been riding on all these unpaved roads, and he's wearing his white jersey with the world championship stripes. But you which can't, is now it's gray. It's completely covered in 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 mud. It's it's gray. It's brown. His face is covered in mud. I mean. These are the the photographs that you show the next generation and like you feel like a badass for, you know, having watched that live. Yeah, among and, the yeah. And he rides into the like final kilometer on the front, he leads them through the twisting, like turning streets of whatever little Italian town in Tuscany they're finishing in, and he comes around the final corner on the front still and starts sprinting and just rides everybody off his wheel. Yeah. And like what a baller way to win an awesome stage. Yeah, and so later and then later in that season he he went to the tour uh having finished I think 5th in that Giro, uh something like that and having come down uh, with I don't know a virus or something in the second or third week. Um but still super like tough mudder, crazy hard stage that he just wrecked everyone in and and it was it was awesome and as as you say Matty, it was like super baller. And then he went to the tour and uh, crashed, uh, got up and took the yellow jersey, and then uh, raced the next day with what turned out to be a broken elbow, um, which is just over, you know, Alpine passes. Yeah, which which is just, like, hard to believe. I don't even remember what the stage is. You know, I'm not uh, enough of a history, uh, you know, cycling history nerd to be able to recall the details. Um, of things like this off the top of my head, and I certainly haven't done the research, but but it, a pretty tough day. And I think he, uh, I don't remember if he actually finished the tour that year, or if, or, or if he just kind of did did honor to the yellow jersey and then um, pulled out. Yeah, I don't, but, I don't, I don't recall either. But the the year after that, the 2011 Tour de France was, of course, the the one that he won. Like finally, right after you know uh, podiuming. Or, or having, you know, top tens in the Giro, the Tour de France, and the Vuelta, yeah. and podiuming it, and having these kind of really upsetting near misses um, And still notably, I think, yeah, and, and, and notably, I think still he was, you know, at this point, people, despite the World Championship and despite that great year in 2010, had really kind of written him off a bit. But just through a combination, you know, he got to the Tour and through a combination of uh, really savvy riding and and paying attention to what was going on and and also just plain uh kind of determination and willingness to work when he needed to uh was able to take the wind i I still remember watching it was stage 19 i think or or 18 something like that uh the one that ended on the galibier yeah or the tourmalet it was the galibier Um, Galibier and Andy Schleck attacked, uh, which was awesome. He went on this actually. like long range suicide attack, like one of those old school attack. This seems yeah. terrible, but if it works, it's amazing. Kind of right. Move. 
Right, and they're you know near the base of the Glivier. They're actually on the climb before the Glivier, and they're you know something like in in Andy Schleck's like minutes up the road, riding toward the yellow jersey, uh, and all the favorites are just dicking around <laughs> and looking <laughs> at each other like, no, you chase, no, you chase him. Totally. Cadell Evans was something like. Uh, 11 kilometers or 10 kilometers or something still to go to the end of the bike race, looks around, sees that no one else is doing anything, sees that no one is going to chase, goes to the front and just rides, uh, just pulls the group uh, to the end of stage for something like nine kilometers. So, uh, you know, here here we are in the Working Men's Honest Bicycle Program applauding a very... Uh... A very, a very workmanlike uh, way to win the Tour de France 2011 Cadell Evans and saluting him in his retirement. So, so did you have uh, anything else you wanted to talk about? I do. I want to talk about the Cyclocross World Championships, which happened this past okay. weekend. Um, yes. And I will, for some reason, I was uh, not paying attention to the schedule and I just... <laughs> forgot all kinds of important things and I, I forgot the fact that the women's race was on Saturday and the men's race was on Sunday. Oh uh, yeah. So I woke up on Saturday and I like casually looked at Twitter and the women's race had just ended and uh, uh, so I didn't watch it live. The worst. But I watched it this afternoon. So I got to hear everybody say, Holy crap, this is the most exciting race of the season. And then I got to watch it and realize that everybody was so, so right. What a great race. Oh, man. It was... <laughs> there was just so much... I, I don't know when... I So I was watching uh, with a bunch of my teammates. We had ourselves a little, um, a little team camp uh, in sunny, tropical uh, Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts, down uh, <laughs> by the Cape. <laughs> <laughs> this weekend when the high on Saturday was like 18 degrees, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, before we certainly weren't going to just get up in the morning and go ride. We were going to watch uh, the world champion, you know, the elite races both mornings. And everyone was just completely on the edge of their seat for all 40 minutes. And I was trying to make some breakfast that I, I had, had to keep running in. Uh, and, and you know, hope things weren't burning so that I could keep watching the race. Uh, and it was, it was just so exciting. And it came down to the fact that um, all of a sudden, you know, due to injury um, primarily, uh, Marianne Voss wasn't the just, you know, odds-on favorite to ride away with it. Yeah, this is uh, this was other people's best shot in years and maybe for years to come of getting rainbow stripes. Yeah. And you had, you know, just, and also just a combination of, um, of talents, uh, at the front of this race where you had, um, Sonic who's a very strong technical rider, um, good in the mud, you know, Marianne Voss is good at pretty much everything, but she, you know, a very punchy, um, rider, uh, you had Katarina Nash, who, uh, you know, former, as everyone points out, former mountain biker, you know, just incredibly skillful in in, in smooth in, in these kind of conditions, you know, on a turny course, because uh, Tabor is, is more of a turny um, sort of fast course when it's not just ridiculous mud. And, and uh, Pauline Ferram-Prevot, who, you know, 
again, a good mountain biker and also a, a killer sprint. So uh, just this variety of, of talents uh, of the, the leading women. So, uh, you know, I, I knew who was going to win the race. Um, if I hadn't, yeah. I, I knew who was going to win the, the race, and I was still on the edge of my seat rooting for people and rooting for stuff to happen. And if I didn't know what was going to happen, I I would have been bouncing off the walls because uh, five or six women had a shot to win that race, like going into the last lap. I really think yeah. that like, anything could have happened. And so we've got like four seconds off the front is this duel between uh, Pauline Ferrand-Prevot and Sana Khan. And they are like... They're switching leads because they're cornering different ways, and they are just like they're closing the door on each other. It is a super dynamic race. Oh, they were, and and they're just beating the crap out of each other. Oh man, and they <laughs> just, couldn't get just, away. Yeah, and then just one of yeah, right. Yeah, and then and then like four seconds back, five, six, seven seconds back is Mariana Voss, and she just puts her whole body into the pedal. She has a higher cadence than other riders. She's she just moves around a lot and she's thrashing her bike trying to make contact, and I think she's got that Dutch style. Yeah, she's like <laughs> low. She's like her and Lars Vanderhaar, the way they throw their whole <laughs> body into it. Everything's at right angles. Yeah, and then I think yeah. I really think that Katarina Nash was riding out of her skin to be there. I mean, I know that she's absolutely a world class competitor. She's won some very big international races, uh, but you know, for her to have the rainbow stripes within striking distance for her i i think that was just an amazing ride and she was riding so aggressively to be there that she hit the deck twice in the final lap which is i I, i'm sure that that's pretty upsetting if you're katarina nash but if you're a fan that's just like i salute katarina nash for 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 taking the risks that she needed to do in order to you know try and get that podium place or try and get those rainbow stripes even though she failed Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was it was painful to see, you know, her go down. <laughs> it's yeah. like you're really feeling but it's also like you're like, "Oh, but but you know, also feeling um good for Voss as she passes and, and is in position to take, you know, uh third. You know, it's like you know, so many feels going on all at once. So many feels. Uh, <laughs> you know, what and I think race. that's yeah, without getting too diverted into this, I mean that's partly uh, uh, what's so great about Voss is is you know despite the fact that she's won this thing like what eight six, times, six times in a row, six okay six still a lot of times in a row, uh, you know she's not she's not like some robot uh, supervillain. <laughs> like you know you, she's still like you know, you see her like rocking her shoulders up and down with every pedal stroke and you're like come on mary yeah she, come on she always looks like she puts her whole heart into a bike race and when uh, she, yeah, she's got that big grimace yeah and when she wins <laughs> she looks overjoyed to have won and that's yeah. you know sometimes people say crap about how like they're uh humbled by the outpouring of love for them when they do really well like blah 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 blah. no like mariana voss actually strikes me as humble because she seems like so thrilled and exciting excited to win like each enormous victory she celebrates as if it's her first 
Yeah, and, and yeah, and right, and so we've got all these storylines then there with you know, of course, Marianne Voss, who, as we're saying, you know, it's just always um, right. She's the dominant force in cycling. Uh, she's always just so completely beside herself with with happiness. Uh, you know, when I mean racing, let alone winning bike races, but especially winning bike races, you've got uh, Sana Kant with her. Uh, you know, breakthrough and, and proving, you know, out to prove that she belongs at the front of these races. You've got um, Katarina Nash, the hometown favorite. And, and of course, you've got uh, Ferran Prevot, the new uh, phenom of women's cycling. Mm-hmm. Like just all these different, different, you know, kind of establishing her place as the next multidisciplinary um you know, superstar. Right, because she won mountain bike world cups over the summer. She won <laughs> the road world championships in another amazing race, uh, which I think we talked yeah. about on our, our first or second edition of the yeah. Working Man's Honest we Bicycle did. Program. We and did. then she started showing up to cyclocross races and really, I mean, just throwing down and setting uh, a new bar, as some other people have recognized. You know, Helen Wyman wrote okay i'm gonna have to spend all summer learning how to bunny hop barriers because paul is doing it we're we're gonna have to do it that's a thing now that's a thing now thanks to you know thanks to (laughs) thanks to pfp yeah and then the other the other thing that i can't help but notice about this race i'm not i'm not sure if this is true so uh listeners feel free to feel free to disagree with me you can holler uh on twitter or, or uh our email address which is on, on our page, which we'll mention at the end. But I really think that women's cyclocross has gotten much more competitive over the past few years. And this is just me uh, kind of reacting to the impressions that I've had. But several years ago, um, when I started watching women's cross, it just seemed like, like most races, there were big, you know, 30 or 40 second gaps between first place, second place, third place, much more often than there have been the past two years and this year especially and so to have the world championships be a race where uh five or six women rode into the last lap like with inside of 10 seconds of each other from the first to the sixth uh, i i I think that's a new bar as well and that the depth of the field is just getting so rich that the competitiveness and the excitement is just through the roof right now well and that's why you're seeing uh you know, technical innovation with with hopping barriers and, and things like that. You know, like, I, I think you're right that, um, you know, I, I have to say as not having really followed cyclocross um, closely until probably after Louisville, because mm-hmm. I, I kind of didn't get it before that. I, I wrote a piece on that back back a while ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh, sorry. Hang on. My computer is no computer. Come back. Oh, geez. Are you dying? Uh, no, I'm not dying. Um, I mean, is your computer? My computer dead? somehow w- went to sleep while on Skype call, but it didn't drop you, so that's fine. Okay, Weird. now it will not do that. Great. <laughs> what was I saying? All you right. didn't. You didn't get cyclocross until Louisville. Yeah, so I didn't really follow cyclocross um, until after Louisville because I kind of didn't get it before then. But you know, in in what I've been able to glean anyway, and what I've seen there has been this really tremendous growth uh in the last few years and and that's what i think drives things like 
you know, seeing things, uh, uh, well, as I was saying, technical innovation, you know, looking for new ways to get a jump on your competition. You know, the appearance of bunny hopping in men's cyclocross really follows kind of a similar and, and we'll see we'll see what happens with this by the way on the women's side of the sport but i i'm sure it's just going to become a big thing um that that they're doing and as i was saying the trajectory of it in the men's sport was that cyclocross really kind of exploded in belgium in the 90s uh and that's kind of when bunny hopping started to be a thing uh on the men's side of the sport as i understand it i'm not a historian um and have not watched lots of old races and uh, you know, you can again disagree with me and, and and yell at me on Twitter if I'm wrong about this. But but I believe it was around that time that it began to be an important part of sort of one skill arsenal uh, at that time. And it was because the sport was getting bigger, uh, and and there was more parity. And so you're looking for an edge, and that's what drives people to try more things. I wonder if the the growth of the sport is what really helped contribute to to bunny hopping because right now my understanding is that uh it was big for a while and then it fell off and then you know uh, different dismount techniques have kind of come and gone in terms of popularity and right now bunny hopping is 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 back certainly not ubiquitous but it's if the course is fast enough you're going to see some people in the field bunny hopping Hmm. and i wonder if if it really has to do with the size that uh, you're gonna ha- in the season, you're going to have enough races in sufficiently diverse conditions that you're gonna see races where a lot of people bunny hop. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not quite sure on that last. Uh, well, point you know, you're I, I, I think I think I think I see people bunny hop more in races where uh, you don't have uphill barriers and you have pretty fast conditions because it seems a lot easier to, to bunny hop a barrier when you're coming and doing it with a pretty good head of steam. Sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the more cyclocross there is, the more of those races you're going to have in a season. Therefore you're going to see more bunny hopping as a result of there being more cyclocross. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's other factors too. Uh, there were, uh, definitely rule alterations made by the UCI, I think, at first to try and discourage bunny hopping uh, and, you know, to greater or lesser success, I don't really know. And there's just, you know, you're kind of alluding also to sort of a cultural component as, as things kind of uh, fall in and out of style. Um, so there is that too. But, you know, it, it, it's certainly in terms of to the extent that jumping a set of barriers on your bike instead of running them uh, can can gain you an advantage. That advantage is going to become a lot more worth the investment in time to develop that skill uh, if there's a lot more parity in the field. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's an arms race. It's a straight up arms race. Once the first person has, you know, developed, you know, <laughs> nuclear weapons, right? <laughs> because then, on courses where um, bunny hopping the barriers uh, will save you some time. Um, you're going to want to be not losing that time, you know. And we know, and, and, and we can see it make a difference. Anyway, I don't want to turn this into the working man's honest bunny hopping podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> dusting off that old joke again. Uh, <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I mean, in short, I think we can say that the elite women's race absolutely lived up to its billing. Uh, the elite men's race, you know, I think it was good. Um, it was not nearly as exciting um, as the women's race. It was. It was never so. Matthew Vanderpool's lead was never so huge that it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to win. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I I agree with that, but I also never I watched I watched that race live, so I didn't know what was going to happen. And yeah, I I never really found myself uh it it was not a foregone conclusion that he would win. I felt like I could always reserve hope that little Lars was going to catch him or earlier that Kevin Powell's could uh, bring him back. Um, I think we're both going to, I think we're both tipping our hands here. We're, I think we're both uh, Powell's and, and Lars fans. Yeah. And I would have loved to see one of them in stripes. For sure. and, and so, yeah. So his lead never grew so much that that hope couldn't be there, but it never either seemed particularly realistic that it would happen except early on no. when, you know, his initial lead uh, was neutralized and for maybe half a lap there was a group of four or five riders well and and when you know a couple laps running he nearly brought himself to serious grief hopping the barriers yeah uh sort of <laughs> who who knows why he was doing that you know and then there were moments like when uh uh vanderhaar finally attacked powell's um maybe halfway maybe a little past halfway through the race and and started to make a dent um in in the gap that vanderpool had but but ultimately wasn't able to reel him back in right i mean that gap never really see i i remember uh, several seasons ago when sven nice had his obviously his reign of terror has been like 17 years long but he had this this one season a couple years ago he just seemed to be winning at will and he would kind of sit back for the first 20 minutes, let two or three guys uh, get 10 or 15 seconds, and then he would just explode across that gap and shut that gap down in like half a lap. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, when, you're, when you're looking for a gap to be reeled in, you're really looking for somebody to have kind of that, that clear edge. And that clear ability to shut it down fast. And you can't really think like, oh, yeah, there's totally a chance that that gap will shrink if Matthew Vanderpool like, crashes hard enough or flats. Like, that's that's right. That's not pro- really going to happen. And if you're if you're wondering what's actually going to happen in that race, if you're hoping for that gap to close, then you have to be looking for someone to really slam slam that gap shut. Right, and it was never, you know, it was it was a sufficiently small gap that if someone had that edge, that that it was a, you know, a slammable gap, right? It was one that you could could close if you were able to, you know, exhibit that kind of uh, that kind of strength, and and there was really no one out there to match match that. Well, except with the possible exception uh, of Wout Van Aert, um, but of course uh, his race was. His his second and third laps were so disastrous um, that you know, first of all, it's incredible that he came back to podium uh, and, and indeed take second place. That, that was astonishing. 
um, because he was uh, 30-something-odd seconds down on the third lap, something like that. He had, I, I don't know if you've seen this yet, there is some video, because it wasn't ca- captured in the broadcast, where you know, he was actually at the front of that race, and he yard sailed pretty hard uh, on the bottom of one of the descents. To the point where he, he slid a, a good distance away from his bike. On his on his stomach. <laughs> Well, he kind of like he 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 sort of stepped over the front to run it out, but of course was going too fast, so it kind of stumbled and belly flopped in the mud. <laughs> it was not not graceful. It's a nice reminder that even even the best uh, can look really awkward. Well, uh, I, I mean, how, how how so? How about this as a reminder for just that point? Matthew Vanderpoel just won the Elite Men's World Championship cyclocross race, and he is like. The, the floppiest, flailingest, bike throwiest cyclocrosser in that oh, field. Man. I mean, he goes around corners holding his bike in one hand and just like flinging it in this 12 foot radius about him. He's he rides with like <laughs> stiff armed and elbows that aren't bent sometimes. And he's this big, lanky greyhound puppy of a child who is just like yeah. flapping his whole body all over the place as he pounds his pedal. I don't think I've seen another professional cyclocross rider kind of tripod, you know, do that thing where you, you lose a little bit of traction and you stick your leg out and you boost yourself back up as much. Yeah. He, he does it all the time. Yeah. Which at one point, you know, on, on one hand, it, it's exciting because it, it always looks like he's riding just absolutely balls out kind of at the limit of what he can control. And on the right. other hand, it just seems like so graceless that it offends the sensibilities. <laughs> I have to wonder, I, I actually, in seeing, you know, because he's always sort of hunched over uh, his hoods, like he's in, he's like propping himself up on, yeah, on these like utterly stiff arms. <laughs> and it really looks like he's just trying to, like he's exhausted and like uh, trying to keep himself from just like flopping over the handlebars, right? And he's got his shoulders all hunched and, yeah. and whatever. And it, as you say, it's it's utterly graceless. And I have to wonder if, you know, if he's such a good bike handler, like in spite of uh, his his bike fit rather than because of it, <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's like he looks like his he, he's got his handlebar, you know, his stem like slammed too low just because he's like, well, you know, this is fast, right? This is what you do because I want to be a fast cyclocrosser. Yeah. And, you know, I, I need to have my stem slammed. And it's like, oh, but to you, maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, you know, he goes out and he's winning. You know, he wins the World Cup at Hooger High. He's, he's doing okay. World champion. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's doing all be, right. Because it's, he's the world funny. champion, we can't say stuff on this podcast like, yeah, you know, I think he needs to build a little bit of core strength and ride rollers a little bit more during the summer. <laughs> We're not gonna go there. Crap, I just went there. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't stand by that. I don't sign my name yes. to that comment. Matteo, <laughs> coach to the stars. <laughs> if I had one tip to Matthew Vanderpool on how he could improve his cycling, it would be. Well, next we'll be telling uh, Lars Vanderhaar that he needs a smaller bike. <laughs> nah, he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know I, uh, so so i guess yeah for me the the big story you know it's it's the story of the season really which is that you know first place was matthew vanderpool second place wout van art uh 
And third place Lars Vanderhaar actually, which was nice. Um, right, this put this puts the Rolls average podium. age of the men's elite podium younger than the average age of the men's U23 podium. Yes, yes, just slightly. That's just oh, entertaining. Oy vey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, and everyone's saying, you know, anyone who has anything to say about the cyclocross, you know, is saying, well, this is the dom- this is the story, you know, this is what we're going to see over the next, you know, however long. Um, I and hope maybe so. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd like to see, honestly, um, I hope it's not just these two guys. Yeah. I think that I, I'd i like to see a bit more parity. I think that they can be there. I think that um, the guys who are close, you know, Vanderpool and and uh, Van Art are very, very strong and probably the best there are right now. But I think that, you know, Lars is still very much uh, someone that we'll be talking about in terms of top level racing um oh definitely potential world champion you know especially you know if he if he still has room to grow as far as his his bike handling because he's he's an he's an an like i know this is again (laughs) greg giving suggestions to (laughs) pros on their bike handling but that's kind of that's kind of his uh you know soft underbelly really um he's he's, yeah he's got he's great when like there are like really grippy conditions like fast technical stuff lars is kind of a wizard um yeah. when it's when it's slippery that's when that's when you know he's he got he gets holes in his armor yeah but you know and yet still still finishing on the podium and you know right. i think that you know we still got guys like uh you know uh Mewson, uh is still going to be great uh ha- I think he really tailed off at the end of the season um, this year. You've mm-hmm. got. Uh, I I do not think that this is the end of the road for Sven Ness yet. Um, he's got one more season. I think it'll probably be a decent season. We'll see. I think so too. Yeah. So you know, I think uh, that one of the things you know, that I ahead. think might happen with uh with Matthew Vanderpoel and Wout Van Aert is uh they might have a, a real change in their condition when. As full-time elite pros, they have to perform across four months of a cyclocross season. You know, this year they started a little bit late. They had some big races that they opted not to race. They had some races where they raced under 23. Um, They had the luxury of being a little bit more selective. And when they uh, put on their big boy tubulars and they don't have that luxury that that might kind of be part of what's making the difference right now could be i i guess we'll have to uh wait and see what happens yeah so yeah i i guess there was did you have one more thing you wanted to say about uh um i don't know these races or or anything connected with them uh before we (laughs) wrap up well yeah so that you know that point about um vanderpoel and van art you know, possibly having to, to grow into a, a different kind of fitness as they race a full season kind of hints at uh, what, what Sana Kant said after the World Championships when she sort of bemoaned the fact that she's raced hard all season long and uh, Pauline ferran Prevost, who beat her, as well as Mariana Voss, who is a constant threat, you know, they've, they've raced half a cyclocross season. And... Uh, yeah. 
it's it's that uh, kind of tricky issue of there are many different ways to get honors in bike racing. You know, you can win the big race uh, or you can win the season long series, you know, the classification or there, there are many different ways that you can you can have uh, season long successes. Um, well, it's worth pointing out, actually, and, and it's maybe worth uh, the 30 second digression to point out that cycling is a little unusual among uh, a lot of sports in that it is, well, at least um, kind of non sort of match, you know, sports, ball sports, uh, in that it is typically single events that are the most prestigious, right? It's like world championship in, in motorsports is a season long competition. Mm hmm. You know, and, and cycling across all of its disciplines is very weird in that um, season-long competitions are, are definitely an honor, but not as much an honor. But anyway. In fact, like, you on. know, for, for well, for cyclocross, for disciplines that have cyclocross size tires or lower, uh, I would say that cyclocross has the most prestigious series between uh, the World Cup, which is you know, very high profile in cyclocross. And it seems like it's of a less high yeah. profile in other disciplines. Um, and the, the super prestige and the, uh, B post bank trophy, formerly the Gazette van Antwerpen trophy. Uh, these are big deals. It's a big deal to win any of these series. Um, but yeah, you know, that's, it's, yeah. it's a way of the concept of series in general is a way of, uh, rewarding consistency and ongoing performance. And, and, of course, Sana Khan has earned that. Yeah. Right? She has had the award for consistency. She did win the World Cup uh, impressively, too. You know, and, and not uh, not sans uh, panache, either. You know, she uh, had that incredible win against Katie Compton at Keynes. So good. For example. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I, and she's actually, she has since um, recanted her sorry her um <laughs> her statements to this effect i think that yeah see what i did there yeah uh, <laughs> um and you know i i think that she realized uh, as as you would that uh, maybe that doesn't come off so well if you're grouching that the non-specialist beat you a specialist uh at your chosen discipline uh and you know i mean i think it's great that uh Great. I mean, you know, it's expected and natural and and all good to see a competitor be kind of mad about not winning, right? <laughs> like, there was this wonderful parallel between uh, the men's and women's elite podiums with the, the second uh, step on the podium uh, in the women's race, Sonic Kant. Uh, looking just <laughs> amazingly grouchy in all of the photos like she cannot she cannot believe this 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 sucks and and likewise Walt Van Art um who had you know such a, a disaster of, of kind of the uh first third of his race uh and then clawed back all that time to, uh, a to brilliant Mars. a brilliant second two-thirds to make up yeah. partially for that first the, third the fastest lap times in the race by far uh like if you if you find the the chart of, of lap times you know it's like the little line the little line for wow is like way below everyone else's in mm -hmm. those last like four five laps yeah and and so you know like was when he pat would first of all crossing the line just punches the air just 
you know, in fury, and then like picks up like the front end of his bike and you know bounces the front wheel, uh, and you know standing there on the podium again, <laughs> looking like he has no patience for any of this. And I think that's great, and I think that that attitude is you know might lead you to say some things that you perhaps regret, um, or 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 even don't fully believe later. So I think we should cut. Um, I think we should cut Sonic Kant some slack, maybe. I I totally agree, actually, um, but kind of for a different reason. Like, I, I agree that it's it's great when athletes kind of run their mouths a little bit, just because it's so boring when uh, they just repeat, you know, cliche platitudes about how their legs felt great, team felt great, bikes were great, everything was great, you know. The sensations were good, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's terrible. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it's good when they run their mouths, but... In, in looking at what Sonicant actually said, I really think that it got kind of overreported. Um, the the cyclingnews.com headline was, Kant hits out at cyclocross part-timers. But what she actually said was, uh, I, I ride a full cyclocross season and have more races in my legs they're more fresh than me. It's frustrating to lose the world title in the sprint from someone who rides fewer cross races than I do. Uh, I can't afford to skip 10 races to be fresh for the world championships. I have to be up there all season long. It's Then it's hard to fight against women who race half the season. That's a bit of a blow now. I, I feel like she's just saying facts, you know? This isn't even, like, her opinion. She's not complaining. And I, I really don't think that she's denigrating um, anybody at all. In fact, the part that I kind of skipped is that she said, you know, I recognize the qualities of Nash, Voss, and Ferran Prevost. Um, yeah. I think she's just saying facts. She's saying, I race a full cyclocross season, which makes it hard to uh, assure your performance for a single race. Other people... And also, it sucks to get... Yeah. It, it hurts, o- you know? Other people... It makes me feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> other people get to pick and choose, or have chosen to pick and choose a little bit more. And right now it sucks to finish second. That's what she said. That's that's straight up real talk. That's yeah. That's I don't I don't think that there's anything controversial in what she said. I think there's, you know, if you let a news outlet uh, convince you that it's whining or that she's, um, you know, that that she's talking down about her competition, then yeah, you can get upset about that. But I don't think based on what she actually said that there's really any room for disagreement she just stated facts sure. facts facts well, maybe we should end on facts let's end on facts let's end on uh the fact that uh this race uh pauline ferran provost win in the cyclocross world championships i think is just gonna it's gonna be memorable for a long time it's it's every bit i guess my final thought on that would be you know, it's certainly every bit as memorable. And actually, with with what was Sonic Khan's comments and, and how they reported, um, re- reminiscent in, in other ways too of uh, last year's elite men's race uh, with the the matchup between uh, Stebar and uh, Ness. Oh yeah. Come to think of it, you know, it both super exciting, super um, memorable races with uh, a little bit of uh, controversy about the part timers. <laughs> Yeah. Thrown in for extra spice at the end. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. I think so, too.
All right. Not gonna well, lie, I've been drinking bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> I had a little bit of bourbon. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to switch over to wine. Well done. Uh, well, you've been <laughs> listening to the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program uh, with me, Greg. Has been Matteo. Matteo, where can you be found on the internet? Only on Twitter. And if you're my friend on Facebook, we're not going to go there. Uh, uh, thanks, Greg. You can you can catch me on Twitter at underscore Matteo, M-A-T-T-I-O. I'm at Grolby. Uh, that's with an O. And you can find the show account at underscore W-H-B-P. Uh, you can tweet all kinds of uh, invective and kind thoughts at us there. And, of course, you can email us at honestbikeprogram at gmail. Uh, Thanks so much for riding along with us, and we'll see you next time. Good night, folks.